Don't you dare touch that dial. Welcome to Don't Touch That Dial, a podcast exploring radio. I'm your host, Caleb, taking you on a journey through the compelling world and history of radio broadcasting. Throughout this journey, you will hear from some special guests in the industry and information to open your mind. My name is Rich DeSisto. I'm a radio professional in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I've been working in radio for 35 years, and I'm also an instructor at a uh, media school. And I'm happy to be here with with Caleb. Today, we're going to be talking about the golden years of radio, which is from about the 20s to about the 50s, whenever TV would take over. But um, obviously, during this period, media was a lot different than we have it today. How common was it to see radios inside of homes? Well, radio grew in popularity through the 20s and 30s. And by the mid 30s, more than half of American households had radios. And in cars, it was getting pretty, pretty big, too. Over a million cars were then equipped with them. And the number of radio stations nationwide, that jumped from like five to the early from the early 20s to over 700 uh, by 1940, which is when about TV uh, finally did become uh, ubiquitous. So obviously, um, since there really wasn't any televisions or, you know, cell phones back in households during these days, they would have these, you know, large radios that would take up vast amounts of space, a lot bigger than we know of today. And families would just kind of sit around and listen to the radio, you know, every single evening. What kind of content would you listen to on the radio during these golden years of radio? Well, as you said, you know, the golden age of radio was uh, kind of focused in the 30s. It, it was so popular that that the theaters were actually reluctant to open uh, some evenings until after the extremely popular shows, you know, were over. Uh, one one particular show was the Amos and Andy show lasted for, for over 30 years. And like many, they, it transitioned eventually over to TV. But radio became such an inexpensive form of entertainment where families coast to coast could, could you know, for the first time gather around this box in their living room and, and enjoy the same dramatic series or documentary or, or hear a news brief or a, a, a speech, a comedy show. Shows were big. News programs were big. You know, sporting events as well. And the, and the interesting thing too is, you know, radios. Uh, the, those radio broadcasts told stories needed to create images of those tales, right? So, you know, we look at what we watch on TV right now, and and the visual is there by default. You know, it's a video screen. So when radio was, you know, was the thing, there was an art form to creating this theater of the mind, you know, uh, to capture the imagination and keep listeners on the edge of their seats to want more. Uh, so the art of using sound effects for or dramatic music was introduced to create that theater of the mind. And it, it's a tactic that's still used in radio today. Uh, one of radio's great creations was the art form of the soap opera. Uh, it actually created the soap opera, which, you know, today there's a few of them still on TV, uh, not as much as before, but, you know, they were the dramatic plays of uh, engaging storylines uh, that were strategically targeted specifically to, to housewives. You know, back in those days, you know, there were more women staying at home, raising their kids and, uh, you know, doing the responsibilities of the home while, you know, the, the husband was the breadwinner uh, and went out and worked and, and brought it, brought home the paycheck. But back then, you know, housewives were, were pretty much everywhere. And, and these type of shows earned their nickname of soap operas because of the many soap companies that advertised uh, within the episodes aimed directly at those, those housewives pocketbooks. Um, sporting events, as I mentioned, they played a big role back then and they still kind of do today, right? You know, TV, Play-by-play play, uh, became popular as television became part of the uh, the norm, but uh, those early broadcasts really 
popularized a lot of the athletes, uh, you know, that that we look at, we, we look back at uh, as references to, you know, the greats of the sport, you know, uh, Jim Thorpe or Babe Ruth, you know, those those sports play by play introduced me as, as a nine year old to radio uh, listening as a New York Yankees fan, you know, from New York, you know, my, my parents didn't allow me to. Uh, stay up late to watch the end of the baseball game. You know, I would uh, I would turn my my little transistor radio on and put my one earpiece in my ear, or the the single earbud back then that, that we had. And you know, lo and behold, ten years later, I got my first my first job in radio. So uh, it was the sports play by play that really really did it for me, and was really a big part of the early days of radio, especially creating that theater of the mind and painting the picture of what was going on on the playing field by those those seasoned announcers. Yeah, so so playing on the the theater of the mind, um, obviously, like they were not able to do, watch movies inside the home or watch television inside the home. Everything was pretty much strictly through the radio um, during this period. And so, obviously, a really big event that happened during this time period was the War of the Worlds broadcast. What was the panic that was caused by this War of the Worlds podcast, and what was the result of it? Uh, the great Orson Welles. Uh, the realism of uh, the War of the Worlds broadcast happened kind of by accident, from what from what I understand. Orson and his team uh, really never thought they would ever deceive anybody, because they found that the script that they created to be too silly and, and really never to be taken seriously, but careful what you wish for, right? Uh, you know, keep in mind, back then, you know, listeners relied on the radio to cover news events, as I, I was just mentioning, you know, and, and and those news bulletins, you know, the reporters or newscasters would update the audience with the news or, or continuations of those news stories. And it was a vital connection to what was going on in the world outside of, you know, looking out the window on your city block there. So uh, that was the format. And those patterns of normalcy were created by that process. So people relied on those. And Wells, you know, and, and his crew on October 30th, 1938, uh, day before Halloween, mischief night of all times, right? Uh, Wells and his team uh, performed a radio adaptation of uh, The War of the Worlds on CBS radio. They, they converted the 40-year-old novel to fake news bulletins describing a Martian invasion of New Jersey, terrorized, it terrorized listeners. They mistook these bulletins for the real thing, uh, filled with anxiety. You know, they made frantic phone calls to the police and newspaper offices and, you know, telling these journalists, uh, you know, that this show really wasn't a show. It was the real thing. And, um, you know, fear and anxiety had become a way of life in the 30s back then, you know, and, and uh, it, it took it took little really to, to, to rattle people, you know, the, the depression, it, it really made uh, a lot of people anxious and it emptied their wallets. Uh, you know, the Hindenburg disaster had just happened, uh, which was broadcast over the airways a year before. So, you know, imagine if that was fake, you know, uh, that was the real deal. So the reference at this time uh, back then was anything you heard on the radio in, in a news bulletin was the gospel. And, you know, you would expect that that CBS, which is where it was broadcast, and and uh, Orson Welles and his and his uh, team uh, would have been reprimanded for their actions, but uh, that wasn't the case. Surprisingly, uh, the FCC at the time you know, they they obtained in, informal agreements from the radio networks that fictional news flashes would not be used again. So they kind of got that reinforcement, you know, to kind of help the FCC feel a little bit better about uh, the situation. But no official rulings or regulations were created. Uh, and CBS and, and Wells were, were never sanctioned in any matter. In fact, the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction that happened in 2004, uh, that's more of a significant um, thing in radio history than uh, Orson Welles and the War of the Worlds, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine just the kind of panic that it caused because obviously – 
back then it was it was all audio and you just heard you know a scary newscast and i mean people got their news from the radio so like how are you supposed to you know determine this is fake or this is real so i think that that definitely you know we both work in radio now and if we were to ever air something that was similar like that i think that we would definitely have to you know add some kind of disclaimer saying that this is a fictional broadcast this is not real the side effects you hear are you know all all fictional so i think that that kind of the War of the Worlds broadcast definitely really helped shape the way that radio would play into, you know, and, and modern radio. So you mentioned how during the Great Depression that everyone didn't have a whole lot of money. There wasn't a whole lot of entertainment. And so obviously radio would become that sort of cheap entertainment. All you had to do was just buy a radio and then you would have entertainment pretty much all day, every day. What other roles would the Great Depression play in the history of radio? Well, radio provided a much-needed distraction from those hardships of the Great Depression. Uh, it, it provided a social outlet, and in some in some areas, neighbors would gather from miles around to listen to a favorite program playing on one set in town. You know, you know, we always see those uh, those references, those 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 pictures from the archives of you know families sitting around their living room gathered around that big you know console radio in the living room. Well, not everybody was fortunate enough to have a radio. So there was just one radio in the neighborhood that would create, you know, that allure where everybody would gather around. Um, radio provided reassurance, you know, uh, an estimated 60 million people listened to uh, President Roosevelt's first fireside chat. And that was a big thing back then was uh, his fire, fireside chats. Radio provided news that previously through print might not have reached you know, some remote areas and until, you know, weeks later, um, it, it created a sense of, 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 uh, immediacy of being in the moment, you know, when an event, uh, occurred, uh, broadcasting in real time was a novel idea, but a powerful one. And it really allowed people to feel connected to what was going on. And, you know, with the hope that what they were hearing was the truth as opposed to, you know, the world, the world's broadcast or uh, any other type of, uh, potential, propaganda that radio, you know, had, had been used for, uh, later on. But once people got used to the convenience and the immediacy of broadcast news and the pleasure of music, you know, music was also a, a big entertainment value piece for radio listening and still is today, obviously. Uh, but people didn't want to live without their radio, you know, they, and that kind of went on for years, uh, until new shiny objects came about to, uh, uh, distract them from what they thought was, you know, the only thing in town, you know, television. If you you know you think about it, I mentioned that radio provided a social outlet um, back then, but it's always been a show a social outlet. It's always been the original social media. If you think about it, you know, I mean, we look at you know the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world today and the TikToks and and how they operate, right? So if you look at it from a Facebook comparison, you know, for radio, the DJs uh, break, if you will, or or what they announce is the post, right? And then there's the content of that post, whether it's a picture that we put on Facebook or a video or, or any other piece of uh, a form of, of media that, that connects to that post. Um, that's the content. And then the comments in your social media post are the phone calls that you would receive on the request line. If you're doing a, you know, a request show, or if you're doing a, a talk show and, and you have listeners engaging and, and being part of the program. So if you look at, you know, those two streams of information, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And radio really set the table uh, for that kind of process, the give and take. And, you know, as we 
invest in the social media aspects of our life, you know, it's really kind of taken it over in, in a way, but, you know, radio still there fight, fighting, pounding its chest and, and, uh, you know, fighting the good fight and keeping it, keeping itself relevant as best as it can. But radio really was like the fabric of daily life back then. You know, obviously today we are on our phones constantly checking our social media. That's how we get our social interactions. But back then, I mean, radio was a huge part of that because that was really how you stayed connected to the outside world. Yeah, I've, I've definitely never heard of radio as being the first social media until you, had, you know, just mentioned that. And I think that that is really true. And I think it's a very interesting comparison because, um, I mean, I think a lot of, especially like the younger generations who really aren't used to listening to FM radio in the car or at home at all, they have no idea that, you know, this, that radio has evolved so much from, you know, these radio plays and, you know, live music because everything was live back then they weren't able to really pre-record and you know schedule out these songs or these shows or everything was live so everything that you heard there was you know it was just you were in the moment like you mentioned and i think that's really important to also point out is people felt like they were a part of these events that were happening because they were happening live whereas now everything's pre-recorded everything's streamed everything's you know just has that distance between you and the creator yeah well i mean even even our conversation right now i mean this would have been done on radio, right? But here we are in 2022, uh, and there's this new platform called podcasting. I think the uh, introduction of television, which took a lot of the radio programs away from radio, created that shift with the way radio presented itself. I think television, you know, the sitcoms uh, eventually became the thing where, again, pre-recorded video shows, video presentations outside of the, the live shows that were being produced on television. Um, but when the fifties came around and, uh, top 40 music became, you know, a, a thing, um, I think that's probably around the time where the industry kind of shifted and the business changed when those formats of radio shows, uh, became the thing. Once television came into the fold and it stole those radio shows, those shows became now live television events, uh, radio needed to do something. So, you know, the format became the thing, top 40 radio became the thing and, and, um, you know, you couldn't uh, you couldn't create a program with music uh, on that level by having live performances. It just it just it was impossible. So you know, the record forty five record was introduced, and that's when radio stations started playing um, the forty five. You know, that became the beginning of of how media was distributed to the audience outside of playing it on the radio. So people can actually buy it. Now, whenever radio first started, it was just a few stations here and there. But eventually they realized that in order to reach, you know, mass audiences and get, you know, more listenership, they had to create radio networks. How did radio networks get started? During World War One, if we want to go back to uh, those early days, the Navy was actually given control of all the nation's private wireless facilities. And it's funny when when you when you look at the research on this and it's it's referenced as a wireless facility. You know, we 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 think of wireless today as, you know, our mobile phones or, you know, a cordless phone, you know, from the the uh in the landline era when we all had landlines. Some of us probably still do, but that that's uh again another another form of communication that has gone by the wayside. The landline. Oh, what is that? But after the war, the Navy kind of recommended that that an American owned company be established to control and manufacture the marketing of wireless in the United States. So as a result, the government sponsored a radio corporation called, called Radio Corporation of America, as we know it as RCA. RCA was created, uh, and then uh, the National Broadcasting Company was created. That's what we know as NBC today. 
Uh, soon after, rival networks were formed, Columbia Broadcasting System, which is CBS, and then soon the American Broadcasting Corporation, which uh, is ABC. And, you know, these networks were created and became a, 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 an actual cost uh, efficient kind of way to do business, you know, to avoid the high cost of producing radio shows. Local radio stations got most of their shows and other than other than news uh, from these networks, which could scale the production uh, of these programs because of the costs were spread over many stations using the programming. So it was a, a cost effective way to, you know, allow these programs to be content where, you know, the business of radio could, could, you know, be sufficient enough for these local stations to be able to make money and sell advertising against those programs. So that's kind of how it all started, you know, and then as years got on, you know, radio, the radio networks became television networks and they still continued as radio networks as well. And then, they kind of grew out to other radio networks through the years as radio continued to to grow from the AM into the FM world uh, and, to, and to where we are today. So you mentioned World War One, and that was clearly a very huge event in human history. But I mean, arguably even bigger than that would have been World War II. Uh, world War II is, you know, during this golden years of radio, what effect did World War II have on the media and have on just radio broadcasting in general? Well, I guess it's the chicken or the egg, right? What what affected World War II having radio or what affected radio having World War II? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it kind of went both ways. You know, radio was was a primary vehicle for uh, the dissemination of information, both true and false. And we're kind of, you know, dealing with that still today with the other uh, delivery systems, you know, social media, you know, with the, the, the political climate that we're living in, you know, fake news is a, a term that has become... Um, you know, uh, on top of mind in the last couple of uh, political cycles, but it's it's been around for a lot longer than that. Fake news was created by radio, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, but it, it played a significant role in World War II. The truth was one of the most powerful and prolific weapons used in World War II. Propaganda also played a major role in the war, and uh, radio used advertising um, uh, as as a way to. Uh, counter propaganda or use it to to it to its advantage, uh, tugging on the heartstrings of the public to keep you know the radio business viable, but also valuing the commitment to the truth, you know, to keep their credibility up there, so the audience didn't uh, shy away and and begin not to trust what was coming out of the speakers. Radio was seen as so vital to the war effort after Pearl Harbor that many feared that there would be a direct takeover. Of the industry, uh, even though that that didn't happen, radio stations and networks still felt it necessary to remind people that America's system of free radio was an important difference between us and our enemies. So imagine that, you know, something like nine eleven. We, you know, we have the uh, the Patriot Act comes into play because of that, and the, the different rules and laws that are applied because of this, uh, you know, traumatic event. Could you imagine the government taking over something as as so? you know, free form and reliable uh, on its face and then turning it into something that becomes a tool, you know, for for their self-interest. And, you know, that that was the fear back then. And, and thank goodness it didn't happen. And I commend the, the networks for realizing that it was important for them to relay to uh, to, to the public that the, the system of free radio uh, was was going to continue and they were going to do their part to, to make it happen. 
clearly radio was just, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, just a fabric of the daily life back then, you know, for their social aspects of it, but also just for the news. People would get their news straight from the radio. And, you know, you had entertainment, you had news, you had sports. Everything was on the radio back then. So what elements of radio during this time period, during the golden years of radio are still alive today? Because clearly they had started some practices and some traditions that we may or may not use today. So what kind of elements of radio from then? that we still have an effect today? Well, soon after World War II ended, television began to be the new shiny object in the American households. And, and most of the radio shows um, of, of those days shifted to TV and left radio, uh, creating more music-driven local programming for radio. Radio needed, okay, what are we going to replace these shows with? So music driven local programming was the answer. And by the 1950s, top 40 AM radio became the new thing. Uh, it ended those radio programs and installed something called formats, right? Uh, or disc jockeys became almost as popular as the artists that they were playing. You know, the disc jockeys would be, you know, what we know of today, uh, the male or female voice, mostly men back then, um, you know, doing a shtick, if you will, a comedy routine or, or something to grab the attention of the audience to kind of fill the spaces in between uh, the music that they were playing and, of course, the advertising as well. Uh, and then FM radio became a big thing in the 70s, continuing the, the format of radios in stereo and with less static um, and DJs or radio personalities. New formats would arrive, uh, you know, arise from uh, the FM days of radio and, and a, a format called freeform radio with music became a thing where, you know, DJs would choose their own songs based on a theme or based on a moment or based on a storyline as opposed to a uh, formatted top 40, the top 40 songs of the week that would be rotated through a, a continuous frequency. And the music, the music industry shifted as well. You know, uh, what was the, the, the norm of a three-minute song in those top 40 uh, formatted days uh, no longer became, you know, the goal uh, for, for bands and artists and musicians. You know, the long-form recordings were, were starting to become the thing where these freeform radio shows would tap into for their engagement with their listeners. But all in all, with a few exceptions, radio today is still that social connection to the world and most importantly to the community in real time. You know, local community involvement, engagement is, is the key to radio. It really always was from the beginning. And it's still that vital link to information to what's going on in your local area. Uh, and it has the power to influence people's uh, opinions. It still does today. People are still able to find out, you know, what was going to happen uh, soon after it happened, or maybe in real time, but I, I, I still think radio is um, is is key to information gathering and and broadcasting that information to the public to inform them in a in a in a situation uh, that could be a matter of life or death, and it's it's just an, still an important an important piece of our of our culture of our society that that needs to continue to be there uh, for many years to come, and hopefully my part in it, your part in it, uh, what you're doing with this podcast and with educating those of us, you know, in the younger generation that don't really understand the history of radio, will put a little bit more of a, you know, a pin in it for them to realize how important radio is and how important it needs to be as we continue. So the question that, the final question that I have for you is what makes you love radio? Uh, I don't have Okay, I guess Siri's going to answer that instead. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> yeah, she, you didn't ask Siri. He's, like, <laughs> he's listening to you. He yeah, knows. he wants to be part of this podcast. Yeah, I love radio for the same reasons why I fell in love with it uh, in the first place. As a nine-year-old kid, you know, listening to 
this sound coming out of this earpiece um, from this little box called the transistor radio that connected with me on a, on a level that I never experienced before where, you know, I was being told about something, listening to the baseball game that was happening, you know, 50 miles from my home, but was being described to me in a way that I felt like I was sitting in the stands. It was powerful. And it only becomes powerful if the talent is making it that way. And and for the most part, radio is filled with a lot of talent. And unfortunately, the way things have gone with the business of recent, a lot of that talent, you know, still looking for work because of the, the, the way the industry has, um, you know, has morphed into uh, its new business model. But that being said, to be fortunate enough to still be on the radio now 35 years later and to be able to be on the other side of that speaker these years as uh, as an announcer as a disc jockey as a uh, a companion to the audience that I've had uh, that has changed dramatically from year to year month to month day to day but still there are people that have listened to me since the beginning that are you know either still in the area or friends or family of course but to be able to have that connection with the uh, with with the audience on a one-on-one one-to-one level it's a magical thing to experience and it, it in a way it it has also uh, benefited me in my confidence level in life in general not too many people can stand in front of a crowd of people and speak to them right public speaking is isn't is a is not an easy thing when you're on the radio you could be speaking to, even though it's a one-on-one kind of connection, you could be speaking to 10 people, 100 people, thousands of people, millions of people. And I've been fortunate enough to work in markets where that million number has been in the room, so to speak. But if I were to stand in front of that same audience in a room, I wouldn't have been able to open my mouth because the fear of, of being in that position was just so palatable. But I think radio has allowed me to shed a lot of that fear. And when I do public speaking now, obviously not in front of that large of a group, but you know, uh, I'm an instructor at a school and I'm easily now able to be at peace in front of people and, and to speak from a position of, of um, not uh, expertise, but uh, of knowledge and to feel comfortable to do that. And I think radio helped me uh, dramatically you know, conquer those fears uh, in, in, in a confidence level, but you know, at the same time, you still get those butterflies when you're standing in front of a large group of audience. And when I do think about the amount of people listening to me uh, at any given time on the radio, it kind of, you know, knocks me a little bit, but, but that there's just something about having that connection to an audience and being able to communicate with them on the same level about something and to share something, you know, it's just hard to explain. And, Unless you've done it, unless you've 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 felt it, it, it's really hard to understand the power and what 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 it does to to you inside and um, the joy that you get from it. Now, in terms of radio as as a, a medium, I touched on it a few times already. But you know that being said, how how it makes me feel personally, I think I love radio for what it does in general, where it allows for an opportunity for the community to have an outlet, a resource to be educated, to be entertained. And I think in more modern times than before, it's, it's being taken for granted because it's always been there. But if we don't 
smarten up uh, on both sides of the speaker, uh, it might not be, you know, with, with all these other new technologies that are coming and how the businesses, how the business and other businesses that, that use radio are pivoting. It's a slippery slope right now. And what we once thought was always going to be there might not be. And that would be a shame. That would be a, that would be a crime if that were to ever happen, because the, the power of radio uh, to be able to still continue to engage with an individual or a community and to inform and to educate is much more powerful than what what other other reasons it could be used for, negative or, or otherwise. And, and I just hope that that continues to be a, an option that we have as a society um, to go to the radio uh, to help us through um, any situation that, you know, having that companionship requires. Don't Touch That Dial is a podcast edited and produced by me, Caleb Broker. The guest in this episode was Rich DeSisto. I will continue the conversation of radio broadcasting in the next episode of this podcast. So listen to the next one to gain more insight. And please rate and review this podcast on your favorite platform.